The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 30th of November here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Hewitt podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Tom McKenzie. Coming up today, Israel and Hamas agree to keep their temporary truce in place for one more day. Henry Kissinger, the former US Secretary of State who defined American foreign policy, has died aged 100. And Musk slings expletives. The owner of X has some choice words for advertisers boycotting the platform. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. And Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend their truce for at least another day. The move will allow for the release of more hostages from Gaza. Hamas released 10 hostages in exchange for 30 Palestinians held by Israel on Wednesday. Ahead of the announcement, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken explained what he hopes to achieve during his visit to the region. We'll discuss with Israel how it can achieve its objective of ensuring that the terrorist attacks of October 7th never happen again while sustaining an increasing humanitarian assistance and minimizing further suffering and casualties among Palestinian civilians. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is currently in Tel Aviv and the West Bank on his third visit since the October the 7th attack. While the ceasefire there continues to hold, there was a shooting attack in Jerusalem. Israeli police say residents of the eastern, mostly Arab part of the city, killed three people before themselves being killed. So that on the Middle East... Henry Kissinger has died at the age of 100, a child refugee who fled Nazi persecution in his native Germany. He rose to become U.S. Secretary of State and defined American foreign policy during the Cold War. China has paid tribute to the man who helped build ties between the two superpowers. Beijing's ambassador to Washington called him a most valued old friend and his death a tremendous loss. Bloomberg's Ian Marlowe explains how his views helped to shape U.S. positions around the world in Asia, in the Middle East, could be a a polarizing figure. But I think that was in part because he embodied that sort of American power. He was one of the people at the center of, of American power. And over a long period of time, when the U.S. role in the world was also changing, and it is to some extent an end of an era. And I think very few people, you know, get close to 100 and and are still sort of active in civil society. Ian Marlowe there on Kissinger's influence on US foreign policy. Kissinger earned the wrath of many, though, for supporting massive bombing campaigns in Vietnam and Cambodia. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973. Now, traders are fully pricing in an ECB rate cut in April for the first time. The shift in investor sentiment comes after new data showed growth shrinking and inflation cooling in France. GDP in the country dropped by 0.1% in the third quarter, while price rices eased to 3.8% in November. Inflation in France has eased more slowly than elsewhere in Europe as the government partially lifted caps on electricity costs. 
Now, the Fed's latest beige book showed economic activity slowed in recent weeks as U.S. consumers pulled back on discretionary spending. Today's U.S. data may also add to the soft landing narrative with core PCE inflation expected to have slowed in October to 3.5%. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic said that he's growing increasingly confident that inflation is firmly on a downward path. On the other hand, Richmond Fed Chief Thomas Barkin told CNBC he isn't yet convinced. I think you want to have the option of doing more on rates. And I guess the bigger point is uh, there's no precision uh, that anyone can point to at exactly what is the level of rates that exactly handles inflation in exactly the way you want to handle it. And so you're constantly trying to adjust on the fly as you learn more about the economy, as you learn more about the um, uh, impact of demand uh, on inflation. And that's what we're learning as we go. That was Thomas Barkin there speaking to CNBC. Traders are already pricing in policy easing for 2024 with the first cut now expected to come in May. Now to China, where the manufacturing and services sectors slipped in November, adding pressure for more government stimulus. Bloomberg's Brian Curtis has the latest from Hong Kong. The official manufacturing PMI fell to 49.4, the second consecutive month of contraction. It was weaker than the estimate of 49.8. Non-manufacturing activity unexpectedly eased to 50.2, barely into expansion. China's economy is still on track to grow around 5% for 2023. The questions remain about momentum for next year. Manufacturing services and the property sector all seem troubled. Falling home sales have curbed demand for just about everything. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Radio. Meanwhile, one of China's largest investment banks has warned its analysts to avoid criticising the economy and showing off their lavish lifestyles. According to an internal memo seen by Bloomberg, analysts at China International Capital can no longer share negative macro or market commentary in public or private. The note also advised employees to avoid wearing luxury brands or revealing their salaries. The guidance highlights growing self-scrutiny at Chinese financial institutions after authorities called out bankers, quote, hedonistic lifestyles earlier this year. Now, Elon Musk says an advertising boycott against his social media platform X may kill the company. Speaking at New York Times' Dealbook conference, the billionaire said if advertisers leave the company, the failure of the business would be their fault. And he swore at them. Musk's outburst comes after he endorsed an anti-Semitic post, something he called the, quote, worst and dumbest I've ever done. Bloomberg's Annabel Drula says Musk is under fire for his actions. So it's really hitting X, it's hitting Elon Musk and that, that anger and his, his issues with advertisers copping a lot of heat there because, as I said, he's been speaking at this conference, a lot of expletives, which I won't take the time to, 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 to issue or tell you here, but certainly a lot of colourful language coming out of that. Our reporter Annabelle Drula is there outlining Elon Musk's frustration at the conference. He also addressed his market power during the address, saying his influence is not due to anti-competitive actions, but because his companies have, quote, executed well. Let's get back to the Middle East and what is an unfolding uh, still between Israel and Hamas. The truce uh, between the two sides in place since Friday has been extended for at least another day. It comes as the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is in Israel today on his latest visit mm. to the region since the October the 7th attack. Let's speak then, crossover to Gallet Outstein in Tel Aviv. Gallet, the, the extension of the truce coming at the last minute, how did it come about? Yes, so um, we are seeing um, an extension of the truce um, 
Quite a short one. Um, this time it will be in effect until 7 a.m. tomorrow morning Israel time, so that means less than 24 hours. It has been quite a dramatic night in that sense. Um, Hamas um, and Israel did uh, quite a bit of back and forward on the list of hostages, Israeli hostages, that um, will be released today. And they finally reached an agreement just before um, 7 a.m. Israel time today, just um, 20 minutes before the ceasefire was supposed to actually stop. And Israel said it would resume fighting if the list um, is not acceptable. Okay. Are there hopes then for any further extension so I have to say that at this stage, hopes are getting um, slimmer. Um, just to get a little bit into the numbers so we can understand why I'm saying that. So on paper, there are 25 more Israeli hostages that could be released as part of the category of Israeli women um, and children that was agreed upon. So that gives us a potential of two maybe three more days of truce, including today, under the mechanism that says every 10 Israeli hostages being released equals to one more day of truce. So these are crucial hours. Um, We don't know how many of these potential hostages are still alive and how many um, Hamas um, would be willing to release. So it remains to be seen. And this is a time that we are seeing developments happen by the hour, and we do not know um, yet where this is going. Um, In this context, it is worthwhile mentioning that U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Israel today for a third Mm. visit um, since October 7 attacks, and he is addressing um, this truth, saying um, it is producing results in terms of both um, the return of hostages and the delivery of humanitarian aid to Gaza. Um, And he says that the U.S. hopes that it can continue, but... um, Like I said, at this point, it seems like no more than maybe one or two more days at the most after today. So maybe just a further one or two days is your analysis, your take at this point. You mentioned Anthony Blinken in the region. What it, what it, I mean, part of his goal, as you say, is to extend this truce. How receptive is the Israeli government to, to overtures from the US at this point? The signals from President Biden and, and others within the administration is, is clearly that he would like to see this extended beyond, beyond those one to two days. Right. So it, it is quite, quite complex, but to try and put things in, in order, um, I, I will make a few points. First of all, Israel and all Israeli officials, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, have made clear that once this truce um, that, that is now in effect um, is finished, Israel will resume fighting. Now, there are talks about a bigger um, deal that would involve an extended truce and the release of more hostages, Israeli hostages from more categories like men and soldiers that have not been released so far. Israel is now addressing these um, reports um, as rumors, as something that will not even be negotiated until all women and children are home. So, and also I have to say that it is hard to believe that Israel's government and especially Prime Minister Netanyahu um, will have the public or political support to back down from the goal he has set to destroy Hamas. So when you put all of these things <laughs> together, it looks like Israel um, is looking to resume fighting. And it also looks like the U.S. is not telling Israel don't go back to fighting. It is telling Israel maybe you should um, keep concentrating on the north of Gaza because the mm. south is very crowded with, with population now. And if you do go to the south, you have to be very careful and very accurate with what you do in order to avoid um, civilian casualties um, like we've seen until now. Mm. 
Just lastly, Gallet, um, there is, as you say, Anthony Blinken is visiting. He'll also be visiting the West Bank. There, We mentioned this at the start of the programme, that there was one incident of a shooting attack in Jerusalem. There's obviously a lot of concern about whether, you know, about the tensions that are building in the West Bank. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, so we have seen uh, an attack um, this morning, um, a sh- shooting attack um, by two uh, Palestinians on, uh, on a, bus, um, a bus station in the entrance to Jerusalem. So three um, Israelis were killed in this attack and six more were wounded. And this, um, as you say, underlines the tensions that, you know, while everyone is focused on Gaza and on Israel's northern border, which has also been um, quiet over the last um, several days because of the ceasefire. So while everyone is focused on that there are tensions building um, in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, um, that we that we saw the consequences of um, this morning. So um, all around, you know, tensions can um, exist and can erupt at any given moment. And, and everyone is also um, focusing on that at this time. OK, Galit Altstein on the latest from Tel Aviv. Thank you very much indeed. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Now, let's move on uh, this morning and to talk about the former U.S. Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, who has died at his home in Connecticut. He was 100 uh, in his long career, a hugely influential figure. Bloomberg's Nathan Hager has been looking back on his life. Henry Albert Kissinger was born in 1923 in the German state of Bavaria. The oldest son of a Jewish schoolteacher, Kissinger was known as Heinz until he moved with his family to the United States in 1938 to escape Nazi persecution. At the age of 19, while excelling at City College of New York, Kissinger was drafted in the Army. He served as an interpreter in the country of his birth during World War II, and after the war, he helped to round up Gestapo officers as a member of the 970th Counterintelligence Corps. In an interview with Bloomberg's editor-in-chief John Micklethwaite, Kissinger said he saw the first-hand impact of authoritarianism and totalitarianism in his youth. It was an experience which is so elemental 
that it becomes part of you. Kissinger brought that experience back with him to the United States. He resumed his studies at Harvard University. His doctoral dissertation there focused on balances of power in 19th century Europe. As a tenured professor at Harvard, Kissinger honed the conservative realpolitik worldview that would dominate his thinking on foreign policy for more than a half century. Kissinger also cultivated relationships with policymakers in Washington. That led him to the White House in 1969 as National Security Advisor to President Richard Nixon. Kissinger's secret trips to China in 1971 paved the way for arguably the greatest foreign policy achievement of the Nixon presidency, his own visit the following year. Knowing of President Nixon's expressed desire to visit the People's Republic of China, Premier Zhou Enlai, on behalf of the government of the People's Republic of China, has extended an invitation to President Nixon to visit China. The opening of China and an anti-ballistic missile treaty hammered out with the Soviet Union achieved what would become known as Kissinger's triangular diplomacy. But his penchant for secrecy would lead to controversy. Kissinger was the first person to serve as both National Security Advisor and Secretary of State at the same time. That allowed Nixon to run foreign policy more or less directly from the White House. The president summed up his attitude in a taped conversation with Kissinger about the Christmas Day bombing in Vietnam in 1972. Kissinger fed into that paranoia about enemies in the press by ordering wiretaps of reporters and White House aides looking for leaks. That expanded use of surveillance led to Nixon's resignation under the weight of Watergate. But the weight of one major foreign policy decision would cloud Kissinger's legacy for the rest of his long life, the secret war in Cambodia. Kissinger orchestrated the operation that dropped more than 100,000 tons of bombs on North Vietnamese positions in the country. It helped lead to the rise of a genocidal Khmer Rouge regime after the war. But Kissinger would never stop defending his conduct in Vietnam, even against critics who labeled him a war criminal. What's a better way at any one point? We didn't think so. I still don't think so, but I'm open to that argument, but but what is meant by better? That pragmatic approach to the world as it is, rather than how policymakers might like it to be, would inform Kissinger's view long after he left public office and sought to wield influence as a private citizen. At the age of 88, Kissinger wrote the book On China, about the country he helped to bring back to the world stage. In a 2020 interview at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum, Kissinger warned of the risks of confrontation between the world's two biggest economies. Unless there is some basis for some cooperative action, the world will slide into a catastrophe comparable to World War One. Henry Kissinger worked to head off that catastrophe after he reached his 100th birthday. As President Biden sent cabinet secretaries to Beijing in 2023 to stabilize relations, the one U.S. diplomat that Chinese President Xi Jinping would meet face-to-face was the man he called an old friend to China, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. I'm Nathan Hager, Bloomberg Radio. 
So looking back at the life of Henry Kissinger, perhaps one of the biggest figures in geopolitics uh, of the 20th century, wielding influence over many decades, even though he had left the sort of formal uh, arena, uh, still visiting China and giving interviews right up until uh, his death, uh, close to 100. Yeah, and as Nathan was pointing out, controversial in some of his policy mm. actions, of course, and, and, the, and the impacts of that still being felt for, 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 for many in, in Cambodia. But when it comes to the question of China... Uh, this this revered place in terms of the linkages between the US and China and seen as a trusted uh, vehicle in which to communicate uh, China's concerns and equally for the US to communicate uh, with China. And his book on China is still seen as essential reading for thinking about modern day China and the politics of that country. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.